the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Have you ever in your life wondered about eternity? And if you can actually be certain of your eternal destiny? My name is Dudley Rutherford, and I'm the pastor at Shepherd Church located right here in Los Angeles. You're listening to Lift Up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. And you'll find us every weekday, Monday through Friday, at 7 p.m. on KKLA. We're going to spend about 30 minutes looking into God's Word to explore important questions, such as what is eternity? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? And where is God when I'm suffering? These are topics that we discuss each and every weekend at Shepherd Church. I'd love for you to come and visit us sometime at one of our three locations, Porter Ranch, Woodland Hills, or Aqua Dulce. Check out our website at liftupjesus.com to learn more about who we are as a church, our locations, and our service times. That's liftupjesus.com. We are a multiracial, multi-generational church that is built on biblical preaching, dynamic worship. We have ministries for every stage of life you may be going through. So be sure to bring your friends and your family members. Join us at Shepherd Church and right here at liftupjesus.com. Be sure to stick around until the end of today's program because I have some important information that I want to share with you. Let's jump right in to today's message. Take your Bibles, if you will. And uh, your sermon outline, I want to continue to lay the groundwork for the entire year. I'm just trying to get you to think about things that are eternal so that you might have a proper perspective in life and set your priorities in proper order and then know your purpose, uh, why God has you here. And my first point, I want to talk about three things that are eternal. And the first one, I want you to write this down, is the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. Matthew 24 verse 35 says that heaven and earth, which is where you live, will pass away. But my words will never pass away. Psalm 119 verse 89 says your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. We've talked in recent weeks about how nations rise and fall, that kingdoms come and go, but the Word of God will never pass away. We have seen throughout history, all you have to do is study history, we know that atheists have denied it, and agnostics have ignored it, and Hollywood can scorn it, and comedians can mock it, and politicians can make rules against it. And culture and popular opinion can attempt to change it, but the Bible will never pass 
away. I read an article recently that said a thousand years, and you know this, a thousand years from now, no one will know anything about you. They won't know your name. They won't know what you did. They won't know where you lived. But a thousand years from now, 2,000 years from now, 10,000 years from now, if life exists, the Bible will still be here. There are so many stories about people who've tried to get rid of the Bible. Once there was a famous French atheist. I have a picture of him. His name was Voltaire. He openly declared that 20 years and 20 years Christianity will be no more. He said, my single hand shall destroy the edifice that took the 12 apostles to build. He's speaking of the church. He further proclaimed within 50 years, no one will even remember that Christianity ever existed on the planet earth. Before that year was over, a British museum paid the Russian government half a million dollars for one Bible manuscript. And copies of Voltaire's writings were selling in the London bookstore for eight cents apiece. Fifty years later, Voltaire's home became the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society and was being used to produce and distribute Christian scriptures. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a sense of humor. There was a man named Thomas Paine. He was an English writer, an influencer of the American Revolution in the 18th century, He was also an infidel. He predicted, he had a printing press and he ran all these uh, pamphlets and he predicted that in his lifetime that no Bibles would ever be printed. After his death, that very printing press that he printed all that garbage was used to print and produce Bibles that went around the world. Now here's a guy named William Tyndale, and William Tyndale was the first person to ever translate the Bible, the New Testament, into English. Now there's a couple of things you need to know about that. For over a thousand years, the only Bibles were in Latin. And when you went to church, from the beginning to the end of the service, it was all in Latin. Now no one spoke Latin, Latin was a dead language. And you just have to sit there and listen to it. And people went. That's what surprises me. (laughs) But the church believed that if they could control the language, that they could control the people. And so it was against the law of the land and against the law of the church for anyone to have a Bible in their own language. And William Tyndale believed that the church should not have that kind of power over the people. He believed that the people should be able to have a Bible in their own native language. And I've told this to you before. You shouldn't come to church without a Bible. Because if you come to church without a Bible, I could stand up here and tell you anything I want to say, and you'd have to say, yeah, he said it. I guess i got to do that. (laughs) But when you bring a Bible with you, And I say, look this verse up, and you look at it. That's how I'm held accountable. People ask me all all the time. They go, Pastor, who holds you accountable? I go, anyone who comes to my church with the Bible, that's who holds me accountable. So William Tyndale believed that everyone deserved the Bible. Now, it was against the law of the land, so when he eventually produces the New Testament in English, so you can read it, They ended up throwing him in jail. 
for a year and a half, and then they took him out of the jail cell, and they tied him, and they burned him at a stake. They literally burned him alive. And what was his crime? So that you could sit here today with a Bible in English. He was the first person to ever translate the Bible into modern English. Now, when he was producing these New Testaments, there was an Archbishop of London. His name was Wolsey. And Wolsey, of course, was with the church and did not believe that people should be reading the Bible in English, only in Latin. And so he was collecting all the Bibles he could find, and he was burning them out front of St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And in order to keep the fires burning, Wolsey wanted and needed a steady supply of Bibles. And so he would buy any Bible that he could find just so he could burn it. And he met a merchant by the name of Packington who overheard his desire to purchase Bibles, and the merchant said that he could supply as many Bibles as the bishop wanted. And what the archbishop didn't know that was Packington was in business with William Tyndale. And immediately Packington went to Tyndale. He goes, I know you're a poor man with a pile of these New Testaments, and you've spent everything you have to print these Bibles, but I have someone who will buy all of them. He said, who's that? He said, it's the Bishop of London. And William Tyndale said, well, why would he want to buy these Bibles? And he said, he wants to burn them. And with that, Tyndale smiled for three reasons. He said, number one, I'll finally be able to get out of debt. Number two, the whole world will cry out against the burning of Bibles. But he said, number three, I will charge him so much that the surplus will enable me to print even more Bibles than what I have now. And so the bishop got his Bibles to burn, and Tyndale got his money to make more Bibles. And later, when even more New Testaments started flooding the streets of England, the bishop couldn't figure it out. The more Bibles he burned, the more Bibles on the streets. And he didn't know that he was the one that was actually paying for all of them. But the real reason is in 1 Peter 1, 24 that says, For all men are like grass, all their glory, which is their fame, their accolades, their achievements, their accomplishments. Uh, Men's glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and their glory falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The Bible has survived being banned. It has survived being collected and burned. It has survived being ridiculed and scorned. It has survived against claims that it is outdated or man-made. It has survived against those who have sought to destroy it. The New Testament that you have is some 2,000 years old. The Old Testament is 3,500 years old old. Just a few years ago in 1947, in the caves of Qumran, they found what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And buried in jars and in caves, and what's important for you to realize is that they were put in those caves during the times of Christ. They were 2,000 years old. In other words, when Jesus was here on the earth, there were scribes that were writing down Old Testament scriptures, right? And the Romans were coming to destroy the Jewish people. And so there were some scribes down by the Dead Sea 
that was writing all the Bibles and the scrolls and they would put them in jars and they would hide them in the caves just for protection. And it was only in 1947 that a shepherd boy threw a rock in one of those caves and he heard it, it hit something and it broke and he climbed in there and it was a jar and they opened it up, they didn't know what it was. And it got to some Hebrew scholars and they discovered these were scriptures that are 2,000 years old. Now, most of them had fallen apart. They were like little potato chips. But they found some that were complete, and they found in those jars, 2,000 years old, the complete book of Isaiah. Completely intact. The entire book. I've seen the original. And when they unscrolled it, you have to understand, it's been in the ground for 2,000 years. A lot of time has gone by, a lot of history in the last 2,000 years. All kinds of people saying, well, how do I know that's really the Bible? When they opened up the book of Isaiah and they looked at it, word for word, it was exactly as the, it is in your Bible right now, the book of Isaiah. They looked at it, well, it hasn't changed, hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Today, the Bible has been translated in over 2,000 languages. And imagine if one nation or one kingdom said we need to ban the Bible and they tried to get rid of it. Well, there's still 1,999 other translations of the Bible. And today with the internet, they'll never get rid of the Bible. The word of God is eternal. Number two, write this down. The soul of man. The Bible speaks very clearly about this. I want you to take your Bibles. We're going to look up a couple verses. Go to Psalm 139 as quickly as you can. Psalm 139. We believe that life begins at conception. We don't believe that life begins at birth. We believe that life begins at conception. You say, well, why would you believe that? Well, because I believe the Word of God is eternal. And the Word of God tells us that life begins at conception. You say, where's that? Well, it's right here. Haven't you read it? Well, I'll read it to you right now, just in case you haven't. The psalmist says to God, God, you created my inmost being. God, you knit me together inside my mother's womb. So here's the question. When I was inside my mother's womb, what was God doing? According to that verse, he was just knit me together. And when was he doing that? When I was where? Inside my mother's womb. Now watch this. The psalmist says, I praise you, God, because I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know this full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now here, here it is, verse 16. Your eyes, God, the eyes of God, saw my unformed body. Now watch this. I'm in my mother's womb. And God said, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. I want you to think about that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm only showing you this to show you something else. But I want you to think about you and your life. And when you, when you were inside your mother's womb, you, when you were inside your mother's womb, God was knitting you together. And the Bible says that all the days of your life were ordained and already written down before 
you were born, he knew that you would be here today. He knew your skin color. He knew your eye color. He knew how tall you'd be. He knew how much you'd weigh. He knew where you'd be sitting here today. It was all written down. Life begins at conception. But I want to tell you something that's even deeper than that. Go over to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. He tells Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought when I was in the womb, you were knitting me together. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says, before I formed you, I knew who you were. And he says in that verse, before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Here's what I believe. I believe that life begins at conception, but I believe that before, before conception, God knows who you are. Before you were formed, before you were conceived, before, before I knit you together, in my mind, I already knew who you were going to be. And so then when you're conceived, that's when he creates what he's already thought. He says, before I created you, before I formed you, I decided, Jerry, that you were going to be a prophet to the nation of Israel and that you would stand and declare the word of God to the, to the people of Israel. Before he formed Jeremiah. Now, life begins and you're born. Whether, what, no matter what you believe, you do believe that you were born, right? And you're made in the image of God. And God is eternal. And you live five years, you get to live five years, you get to live 15 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, maybe 100. Do not think that life consists just of this life, but here's what happens. The earthly body will one day die, but your soul, the essence of who you are, is ushered into a place called eternity. Every single person, I want you to look around this room, every single one of you have a human body, and every single one of you, this very moment, right now, while you're sitting here, that frail body is deteriorating. I don't care how much makeup you put on, <laughs> how many jumping jacks you do, or how far you run or can ride a bike, right now, your body is deteriorating this very second. The wrinkles are coming. <laughs> and eventually, you're all going to croak. <laughs> you're going to die. But here's what happens. Look at Ecclesiastes 12. Here it is. When you die, here's what the Bible teaches. This eternal Word of God says that the dust returns to the ground from which it came. And the spirit or the soul returns to God who gave it. And if you understand that, if you really truly understand that you're only here for a little while and then you're going to die and this old body that came from the dirt is going to be put back into the ground and turned back into dirt, but the spirit, your spirit, your soul is going to continue on, you would realize how valuable the brief few years on earth that you actually have. And you would spend every waking moment of your time on this earth serving an almighty God. 
knowing that one day you're going to be ushered into that eternity. Mark 8, 36 says this, what good, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Leave that up on that screen. Look at it. What good is it if a man makes a billion dollars? What good is it if a man wins a thousand national championships? What good is it if a man has a hundred million people following him on Instagram? What good is it if you have 50,000 pairs of shoes in your closet? What good is it if you have 20,000 pieces of jewelry? What good is it if you own 500 Ferraris? What good is it if you have 1,700 gold Rolex watches? What good is it if you have 10,000 Bitcoin? You got all that, yet you forfeit your own soul. What he's saying is that your one soul is worth more than the entire world put together. There are 8 billion people on this earth. They've all been born. They're all living. But they will all one day die. They'll be placed in the ground. But then what happens to all 8 billion of us? John chapter 5 tells us these words. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear His voice. And what? Verse 29 says, you're going to come out. And those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. The soul of man is eternal. Don't live for just now. Live for the eternal. And number three, write this down. The Word of God is eternal, the soul of man is eternal, and the love of God is eternal. We know that God is eternal, because the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is, God is eternal. We learn from 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. So if you do the math, God is eternal, and God is love, then God's love is eternal. The grace of God is eternal. The mercy of God is eternal. In Psalm 136, there are 26 verses if you just look at the first verse, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. But it has this line, His love endures forever. And in each of those 26 verses, in one chapter, it says, His love endures forever. His love endures forever. There's 26 verses in one chapter, and in every verse, 26 times in that one chapter, it says, His love endures forever forever his love endures forever well, there's two times his love endures forever his love endures forever his love endures forever his love endures forever 26 times he's trying to tell you something his love endures forever Oh, I hope that you enjoyed the radio program today on Lift Up Jesus with Dudley Rutherford. It should come as no surprise that my driving passion in life is to lift up Jesus everywhere I go and with everyone I meet. So often a person has never heard 
the life-changing message of the gospel. Or perhaps they at one time experienced the transformation that's only possible through Jesus Christ, but now for some reason they're discouraged or they're in need of hope. If that's you, if that is you, I want to encourage you to reach out to us at liftupjesus.com because we want to pray for you and we want to pray for you right now. Come visit us at Shepherd Church. If you can break away one weekend, we have three campuses in the greater Los Angeles area and multiple service times on both Saturday night as well as Sunday morning. So you really have no excuse to not come visit us. You will be so blessed by getting plugged into a biblically-based, Christ-centered church that strives to love God and to love people. You can call us toll-free at 888-818-4777. Let me say that again, 888-818-4777. Or visit us at our website, liftupjesus.com. We'd love to hear from you. We have a ton of resources at our website to help you in your walk with the Lord. Once again, this is Pastor Dudley Rutherford with Lift Up Jesus. Join me here tomorrow and every weekday at 7 p.m. as we continue to study God's Word and to lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus.